Let's get it. The NFL playoffs, we've hit the championship round, right, Joe? Mm -hmm. Then we have the Super Bowl. No, no, sir. It is NFL mock draft season. It officially starts today. Let's go. No, I hate this. I hate I hate mock draft season with a passion. I uh, actually, does mock draft season ever end? Great point. Okay. However, let me say this. Just out of curiosity, I click on Mel Kuyper's list because I'm like, all right, let's see what you know, they get you every time, right? <laughs> they don't, but okay. All right. Panthers pick ninth. Mm-hmm. He's got him taking a quarterback. Mm-hmm. If you had to guess off the top of your head, who would they? Who would he be taking? Who would the I Panthers take? Uh, who was it? Stroud. C.J. Stroud. Good guess, right. right? You would think one of the three quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. Oh, no. Mel's got the three quarterbacks, Stroud, Bryce Young, Will Levis going off the board before the Panthers pick. Jeez. But he's got Dude, the Will Panthers. Levis, the Will Levis thing, man. He's got the Panthers taking Anthony Richardson. What? <laughs> no. The ninth pick. Fire Scott Fitterer. Fire everyone. Plus, how can you have a mock draft when the Panthers don't have a coach? Details, Joe. Eh. Details. Details. One one quick shout out though. Mm-hmm. Keon White, Garner. Yeah. In this mock draft, top twenty. Nice. He finished his career at George Tech, started at an Old Dominion. Mm-hmm. Kind of flew under the radar this year, but we will have a new member of the Garner, the Garner Hall of Fame on this program. Is he going to join the group? He will. All right. I don't, I don't think he's into golf, but we'll hey get man, him there. you'll make him. You'll make him be part. Hey of man, golf. when you're from the G, you got to yeah. rep. I. I to, for context purposes, my anger at mock drafts is that they're worse than meteorologists in terms of predicting. <laughs> well, they change so many times. The draft's in April. Yeah, the draft's in April, number it's one. It's January 25th. Number, n- number, two, number two, what you're hearing from Mel Kuyper or anybody else is what the agents want you to hear. Sure. Or, or what teams want you to hear because there's some game of Smoke screen. Yeah. So, yeah, man, let's just wait till the draft day and we'll get shocked what by What fun things. is that? I'd rather focus my energies on other things, like the fact that GoldenEye is getting re-released on the Nintendo Switch on Friday. Let's go. I might bring the Switch in on Friday. Hook that I've bad never, boy I've uh, never played the Switch, so let's do it. Interesting. I got to bring in the Nintendo 64 controller that I have, um, and we can go. We can do little slappers. Would you like for me to tell you something that you're not going to like right now? Uh, you'd say lots of things that I don't like, but go ahead. I've never played GoldenEye before. Ah, let's go to the next one. What'd you do in college, man? And don't be like, oh, you know. Because I know you better than that. What'd you do in college? I worked at the NNO. I worked at Technician. You I worked at the radio station. You didn't play any video games. Honestly, I didn't. Wow. Wow. Not not after my look first you, two years. First you. two years in the dorm, Madden and NHL. Those ah, are the two games I, I see. Not a single dude in the dorm? First two years in the dorm. Although, yeah. wait, 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 wait. We're wait, talking wait, wait. 93 no. and 94 here, yeah, my friend. Yeah, I was going to say GoldenEye wasn't out then. You didn't know paintball yeah, I was going to say, yeah, you, yeah, no, you didn't have you didn't have GoldenEye at that point. I forgot that you were in you were in school in that time frame. So, yeah, that makes sense. Okay. Uh, you know what? I'll allow it. I'll allow it. Because GoldenEye is prime college time for people. Mm-hmm. At least, obviously, in my age group. That's where the memories come in. Next up. One of the four, all of the four, or half of the four. Did you know they announced the Baseball Hall of Fame class today? I I did, and I was slightly confused (laughs) on a couple of fronts, but... Okay, well, what are you confused by? They have Scott Rowland going in as a red. Yeah. 
Well, because he was on like 12 different teams. I know, so. but do you think of, do you consider, when you think of Scott Rowland and, and the success that he had in his career, Yeah. do you think of him as a as a red? Do you want my real answer? Yeah, I do. I don't think of Scott Rowland. That's, that's the thing. I understand he's a very good baseball player, but when I think of greats to have played, Scott Rowland does not no. come to mind. Listen, and, I, and I went, oh, yeah, I remember Scott Rowland. He had a really, really, really good career. He did. He did. You know, Rookie of the Year, played a bunch of All-Star games. Yep, seven-time All-Star, man. I get um, all that stuff. But honestly, I think of him in Philly. Not he a Cardinal. Was the Rookie of the Year. Not a Cardinal. Then I think of him as a Cardinal because of he helped them win a World Series. He did. He did. I do not think of him as a Red at all. Yeah. And to see, like, all of this stuff coming from the Reds' account, I, that's the part I'm genuinely confused by. Okay. Okay. So he gets in. And he was an outstanding third baseman, like a defensive player. And I, I understand the argument that at his time, maybe we thought too much about offensive numbers sure, and sure, steroids sure. and this and that. And we didn't value, perhaps, his defensive contribution. Well, the, the problem is, and again, I'm not trying to act like I know the ins and outs of the Baseball Hall of Fame. But it, it's my understanding that third basemen are few and far between sure. in the Baseball Hall of Fame. It's actually he's the, the 18th, the 18th, 18th? Okay. Hall of Famer. Uh, to be considered a third baseman. But here's my bigger problem with the Baseball Hall of Fame. He received 76.3% of the vote, so he gets in literally by five votes right? Uh, to break the threshold of 75% needed to get into the Hall of Fame. Uh, last year, he was at 63.2. This is his sixth year on the I was going to say, he started at 10%. What happened This is that right. he goes from 10% to 75% with the same, same voting numbers. Same numbers. numbers. Same numbers. So what ends up happening is, I guess, as guys cycle off, and you know, we don't have to deal with the Maguires of the world and everything else, that we start to, I guess, look at these numbers again and think, okay, well, you know what? He's a Hall of Famer. How about maybe not? I, it's, it, this is one of those evergreen topics that we can do on Sports Talk Radio. And I understand you want to have a distinction between a first ballot Hall of Famer and, a, and another guy. I get that. But it shouldn't take you this long to assess Scott Rowland's career. It shouldn't take you this long through the riders to cycle through that you think, oh, okay, let's revisit this guy and see if we get him in. It's okay. It's okay if you don't put somebody in the Hall of Fame. It's have, fine. Have Have you ever been to Cooperstown? Yes. Can you imagine, like, the year you go to Cooperstown, you're like, hey, son, I'm taking you to Cooperstown. Mm-hmm. We're going to go... You know, spend the summer up there. I'm going to take a nice drive oh, up no, in the Bronco, right? It's great. And, and you're like, oh, cool. Uh, dad, who's going to be in the Hall of Fame? And, and your dad, maybe maybe it's 07, and your dad's like, Tony Gwynn mm-hmm. and Cal Ripken. Mm-hmm. Cal Ripken saved baseball. Mm-hmm. Tony Gwynn's the best pure hitter of all time. Imagine this summer you're going for a ride up up to Cooperstown. Dad, Mom, taking me to Hall. That's awesome. Who's who's getting in? Scott um, Rowland. Um, Scott Rowland and Fred McGriff, yeah. son. And Fred McGriff is getting it on the writers, on the No, no, no it's, it's a new thing, which yeah, is fine. Uh, you and I, I think, uh, differ maybe on, I like this new thing because it's a panel and oh, it's sure. players and there's some other things involved there. I don't, so. mind, I don't mind the errors committee if they actually do the right things, like put in Barry Bonds. Who they should have. Yes. Put in Mark McGuire. And I think like eventually that, they that, will, but it was we'll the see. first year of it. We'll but can see. you imagine just being like, who are we going to see? Scott Rowland, you know, he, he yeah. played for a bunch of teams that wore red. Look, and Fred McGriff, you know, he did this those videos. It, it's where they won back to back to back AAU titles. Baseball can't get out of its own way because you know they look at a dearth of Hall of Fame inductees as a problem with the sport. Okay, cool. Well, then why don't you just go to the football model, right? Change it because the yeah. pro football. Well, Hall of, uh, I hate the, no. Well, I hate well, the thing the like so, which one is it? Which one is it? Right? Because what football gets right is that 
The Hall of Fame is a celebration of the sport and a history of the sport. And there's a requirement. And not numbers. Yes. It's I, a requirement that you have to put people in every year. Okay. So the way the base, the, the football Hall of Fame works, it's, because it's political, just like everything else. And it's the ballots are argued and you have to politic and everything else. But football gets it right in that it becomes a Hall of Fame celebration. It's a celebration of the guys you remember. Sure. It, in the in the the bare essence of the NFL Hall of Fame is that old deadspin bit where they would open up a pack of baseball cards. Let's remember some dudes. Yeah. You, you know what bit I'm talking about, yeah. right? That's the football Hall of Fame, and it's brilliant. The problem with baseball is that they could do the same thing where you can draw people like me in and go, hey, let's remember some dudes and why you liked baseball, but they won't because of the numbers and the politics and everything else. So pick one. Pick a lane. If you want to make the Baseball Hall of Fame this real sacred place and it really is an honor to do it, well, then I'm sorry. No offense to Scott Rowland, but, hey, man, you just ain't moving the needle for me, okay? The, the 82 class, by the way, was Hank Aaron and Frank Robinson. Like, imagine. <laughs> right. You know, like, okay. That makes I mean, sense. no brainers. Right. Right. <laughs> Two of the greatest hitters of all time. Instead, we're like, let's celebrate Scott Rowland. Okay. My dad is happy. Yeah, I guess. but his defensive war was awesome. I know. He's like actually the awesome. fifth. He's actually the fifth highest war. He, this is the stat. He's like I the fifth it. highest war rated third base. Oh, okay, got it. Next up, we've got golf beef. Oh, jeez. So is is this is this what's trending? Just a list of things that gets me angry. <laughs> yeah, I picked mine in particular uh, for okay, that reason. Okay, got yes. it. Got it. But uh, over in Dubai, both there were players from the PGA Tour and the Live Tour, and that included Patrick Reed and Rory McIlroy. Yeah, Patrick Reed, you'll you'll know it is is notorious in golf circles for for being unlikable, and P- Rory McIlroy, you'll remember from last summer, was basically the face of the PGA Tour and the the, the spokesman, if you will, for the mm-hmm. PGA Tour. Mm-hmm. Well. Along the way, Patrick Reed had filed a defamation lawsuit against the Golf Channel, and he had also included in that, for whatever reason, Rory McIlroy was involved and was subpoenaed. So Rory doesn't exactly have a lot of love, probably never did, for Patrick Reed, and didn't quite understand why on the practice range Patrick Reed wanted to come over and extend whatever olive branch he was interested in extending. But it ended by... Rory not exactly wanting to talk to Patrick Reed and then Patrick Reed claiming that he threw one of his live golf like a, almost like a, a lit cigarette at him a live golf tee from the, the the aces to show him where he's from so of course Rory was asked about this and well it's much ado about nothing yeah there was no tea throwing, he just turned his back, he had a tea in his pocket, and he just threw it down in disgust. That's probably anyone would do when you approach someone and you don't get an answer. But, you know, can you, can you see yourself maybe one day mending those bridges with Patrick? Not, not at the moment, though, but he, he said he was trying to make an effort. Okay, next question. That was not Rory, that was the person asking Rory. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like somebody joked, was that Patrick Reed asking the question? <laughs> Different accent, yeah, and and this is what this is what I get to when it comes to this. Hey, man, Rory McIlroy has made it abundantly clear he doesn't get down with Patrick Reed. Respect it. I think that's what that's what bothers me in these situations sometimes. What we do in this business, 
is that we're trying to act like, oh, no, no, mend fences, you know, work it out, you know. Be the bigger person. Spirit of the competition, be the bigger person. What does that get you sometimes? Nothing. It enables people sometimes. So you know what? Patrick Reed's an ass. I don't have to engage with him. It's an evergreen. He's an ass. I don't have to engage with him. It's as simple as that. How many people in your life, Julio, have you just decided, you know what, man, I ain't messing with that person? Right? So allow athletes to do the same thing, man. They don't have to prove anything, dude. Next up. Number two. So the Carolina Panthers coaching search uh, still goes on, but they're not alone. It's been over two weeks since the end of the regular season, and all of the current head coaching vacancies are still vacant. But there are some things that are coming clearer here. Uh, the Carolina Panthers in particular have gone back to second rounds of interviews. Steve Wilkes, by the way, the interim head coach, is part of that second round, as is Frank Reich. I think I'm, I'm, I would be fine with both coaches, honestly. I, I would love the tandem together. Like, Steve Wilkes is your head coach, and then Frank Reich comes in as the highly paid offensive coordinator. I would love that, but that's probably not going to be the case. Meanwhile, Sheena Quick, of uh, she's with... Uh, the Fox affiliate out in out in Charlotte, who covers the Panthers, uh, she had pointed out that Atlanta, the Falcons, are actually monitoring the situation with Steve Wilkes uh, to potentially pick him up, if you know, hire him if things don't work out in the head coaching job for the Carolina Panthers, which would be a savvy move by the Atlanta Falcons, obviously. Uh, meanwhile, you've got the speculation about Sean Payton. Now, earlier in the week, I read a blurb in the Washington Post from Mark Mask about. Sean Payton and the growing suspicion that Payton's actually not going to take a job, that he's enjoyed the attention, he's heard everybody, he's done the interviews, and obviously there has to be a trade for Sean Payton with the New Orleans Saints because he's still under contract. But Maskey had pointed out somebody from the Denver Broncos organization, a source, said that there's growing belief that Payton's not going to take a job, he's going to return to the Fox booth, and he'll wait for a better job to open up, potentially the Chargers or maybe Dallas if they don't move on from Mike McCarthy this offseason. Here's Mike Garofalo on the NFL Network following up on those suggestions and kind of doubling down on it. Been a nice little bow for me. I agree with you. I don't think he's getting that Denver job. Uh, I, and I, we've kind of been talking all along that there is a possibility whether it be 50-50 or even greater than 50-50, that Sean Payton would go back to Fox for one more year because he's not like he's that desperate to get back into coaching that he's just going to take any job. It was going to have to be the right situation on both sides of the table, and it does not feel like that's where we are right now. We're not hearing that, Ian, and we're hearing consistently it's actually the opposite of that. So he could potentially just go back for another year and then – Come back and look at it next year and see which jobs are open and if those situations are better for him to jump back into the NFL ranks. So right now, uh, I agree with you, and I think it's definitely more likely than not that Sean Payton goes back and does another year of TV rather than coaching in the NFL. But we'll let you know when it's 100% that way. All right. Now, that's Mike Garofalo on the NFL Network explaining what's going on with Sean Payton. A couple thoughts on this. Uh, one of them is I absolutely understand Sean Payton being in a position where he can be extra choosy on, along with the fact that the New Orleans Saints have to be given something for his services. Totally get that. And when you look at the jobs that are available, he might not have the full access to decision-making that he would want. A couple of places, including the Carolina Panthers, have Scott Fitterer, general manager. I mean, do we think that Sean Payton wants to work with a GM he didn't pick or be highly involved with personnel decisions like we know he was in New Orleans. Again, something to consider. The other thing to consider, and we've seen this before, 
never underestimate the tendency of coaches and their egos to be wanted, right? Look, man, Bill Cowher absolutely loved every offseason people clamoring for him. He never left the booth, okay? John Gruden, for the longest time, loved the groomers. Couldn't forget the groomers, not just in the NFL, but college too. Tennessee groomers, baby. I'm not saying that this is what Sean Payton is doing. I'm simply pointing out we have instances where head coaches or former head coaches who are currently on television love the attention and the television networks they work for love the attention as well. Let's get to the top story of the day. The number one story of the day. We're number one. We're number one. What's a foul? Next. Interesting night in the ACC. Both NC State and North Carolina in action last night. Both winning with some adventure down the stretch before they actually won those games. Let's start with the first game. NC State over Notre Dame. Terquavion Smith was in the lineup again. Um, Kevin Keats knew Terquavion was going to play, um, but it's you know around like 4 o'clock-ish, I think it, it was. Maybe that. You're rolling your eyes. Here's what Kevin Keats had to say about uh, Terquavion Smith actually playing last night. So, Chip, probably about 4 o'clock at practice when he knocked down two threes. It's like, yeah, he's ready. He's going to be fine. So there you go. That's uh, Kevin Keats on when he found out Terquavion was going to play. What's funny is is that it wasn't necessarily that Terquavion was dropping threes to get to his point total. Amusingly enough, he did most of it at the line last night against the Fighting Irish. Yeah, he was he was um, a little bit off. Well, I yeah, thought man. his shot was off. He was a little maybe a little jittery. Uh, shot selection wasn't great last night, but mm. I thought Jarkel Joyner was really the bus driver last night. And yep. you know, again, DJ Burns gets you those baskets or gets you or sets up a basket when you really really need one. And then Casey Morsell had a couple of nice threes. And Notre Dame is not a great defensive team. Mm-mm. But they can score, mm-hmm. and the way that they were shooting from the three-point line really kind of you know pushed NC State in that game. So, and and I think you know both coaches, you know we we talked to both coaches after the game. The both you know Mike said I think NC State's got a good team. Kevin yeah. said no, I think Notre Dame's got a good team. It's one of those teams though. You look at it and you go whoa, I mean they're whatever they are on the net. Blah 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 blah. blah. Mm-hmm. The truth of the matter is Notre Dame's got guys who could shoot and score. You know it hasn't gone their way obviously in league play. Uh, but they are a dangerous team. So leave PNC Arena, get home, uh, fire up the North Carolina-Syracuse game. I think I started watching that game right before they got to halftime. Okay. Um, and Carolina Carolina's a, is – they're messing around, and they almost found out last night. And that seems to be a recurring theme for the Tar Heels this year. And I don't know why. I mean, I have my theories as to why, I guess. But we don't really know why this team just can't really put the hammer down yet. Maybe that's just not who they are, and they're in a larger grouping of teams that are good but not great. But you can make the same argument about you can make the same argument about uh, about all of college basketball. But there are some consistencies for the Tar Heels. You know, Armando Baycott is going to get his. R.J. Davis is going to play a tough brand of basketball, and then there's the wild card of Caleb Love, and I think that's where we can start. Caleb Love was pretty productive last night uh, in the absence of some of the finer points of an R.J. Davis game. Caleb Love was pretty good. Well, you know what you're getting when you play against Syracuse. There's going to be certain looks that you get against their zone, and and it was good for Love to see a few of those go in early. 
And I thought he had his – that's good for his confidence. So here's Hubert Davis, the coach of North Carolina, on closing out on the road. Some, something that Duke has not been able to do consistently, by the way, but Carolina found a way last night. We've been in tight situations before, and so that's one of the luxuries and the beauty of this team is that we've been in situations like this before. And so, you know, making a shot with 55 seconds to go and you're down by two, that's so much time, so much stuff can happen. A lot did happen. And so um, having that type of experience and being in those situations allowing you to um, be in the moment, be calm, and be able to execute. And that's what we did down the stretch. Just there were plays that needed to be made on both ends of the floor, and despite being down by two with a minute to go, we were able to make those plays and come up with a huge win. Now, a big reason why the Tar Heels were able to get that win last night is because Joe Girard, the unofficial fifth Bayheim, made one of the most boneheaded basketball plays I've seen this season. One of his six turnovers, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was a bad night for Gerard, who was a, a – Beheim loves the kid. I, I get it. Although he's not a kid. I think he's like 34 now. Um, the, <laughs> the, he's got five more years of eligibility. Does he? Okay. Anyway, point being, uh, in the closing moments of that game, when they were up one, Pete Nance misses a free throw. And in the – the, the bouncing ball dynamics uh, after that, he the ball's going out of bounds, and he decides to dive for it to save the ball and knock it back inbounds, but he did this underneath the opponent's basket. Terrible, terrible move. And It co- did look like a cutting pass to Nance. It really did. Heads-up play and, by Nance. An incredible heads-up play by Nance to pick it up and put it back, and they take the lead. So this gets us to the controversial part of the game. Uh, to me, that's where Syracuse lost the game. It was, it was Gerard's mistake that ultimately made it happen. But the 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 the, the controversy happens when uh, Judah Mintz of Syracuse drives for what would have been the game tying shot, and he was called for a charge. And then they go to the monitor and they call a flagrant on him with ten point seven seconds left in the game. He knocks R.J. Davis. I think R.J. Davis was hit in the face like three times last night. It was again, it was a tough night for R.J. Davis, but he's a tough dude. And this got us another night of problematic officiating discussions, which we will get into further detail tomorrow because I I think we're at the point where. The fun has been sucked out of watching this basketball game, and there are two culprits. I'll tell you who those are next. Check us out on YouTube. Look up 99.9 The Fan Raleigh on YouTube and and hit the subscribe button. We'd appreciate that. Had a nice push yesterday. I like round numbers. Got it to 2,500 now. Got to 2,000. Let's get to 2,500. And then 3,000. You see where I'm going with this. So shout out to everybody who's subscribed so far. So we talked about the ACC games themselves last night, both the Wolfpack and the Tar Heels won. A little adventurous down the stretch. But the focus of these games and what happened on Monday night in Duke's loss to Virginia Tech and Saturday's North Carolina win over NC State, we've hit the point in the season or a rash of things that have occurred that we're singularly focused now on who's going to screw it up officiating-wise. And even the coaches get involved with this, by the way. The coaches do not help. Here is Jim Beheim when he was asked about uh, the flagrant fouls, the free throw discrepancy at the end of the game. Said he hit him with his elbow. I, I, I haven't seen it, so I don't know. What are your thoughts on that free throw discrepancy tonight? Uh, 
It's unusual. I mean, that's the best thing that Jim Beheim can say. What else is he going to do? Is he going to get himself fined? I mean, come on. That's just not that's not what he's here to do. So he handled that the best way that he could, and, of course, people glommed on that. So there's two culprits as to why the fun has been sucked out of watching ACC basketball thanks to officiating. The first one is us, okay? Like, I am everybody, everybody, media, fans, us. Because after we see an incident, or something that we did not agree with, we start then looking for it. Because, like, you know what last night was about for a lot of people? Watching hoops? Free throw discrepancies. People were watching with keen eyes what NC State was going to be doing at the line and whether or not there's some makeup or some conspiracy or whatever it is. And then there was the Carolina game, right? Then we got to the Carolina game, and people were going to see, like, how is this going to play out? See, it's happening again. Two completely different styles of basketball. People said that the reason why NC State put Carolina on the line is because they're super aggressive, and of course they were going to foul, and of course they were going to go at the line. Syracuse doesn't do that. Syracuse plays zone. Okay, Although, in defense of Jim Beheim, they have mixed in some, <laughs> some full-court press uh, to mix things up. Regardless, what was the free-throw discrepancy last night? Carolina got to the line a bunch including at the end. So you're actively looking for things to be mad about. So you ruin your your experience. And then there's the other culprit, and that is television. And because of all the angles that we get, we now go to the monitor, and it slows things up. And the last five minutes of a game takes how long now? Too long. Dude, it takes too long. And something's got to give, man. And if they got rid of replay altogether, I'd be completely fine with it. I don't need replay in my life anymore. I think you need it for almost like those emergency situations. Okay. There's two ways to go. You either use it more sparingly or you improve the camera angles and everything else, and you use it basically all the time, like an eye in the sky. Okay. I don't see them moving towards either one of those scenarios, though. That's the problem. Yeah, that that is that is a that is a problem. I look on Saturday. I had some Carolina fans in my mentions because I simply pointed out, look. I understand where fans are coming from because you can watch two basketball games in a given day and see completely different games and how they're officiated. Why? Why is that the case? And we talked to Steve Schwartz, our friend, longtime high school basketball official. And while he's not an ACC official, he's a basketball official. And there's a lot of similarities at all these levels. And he talked about tendencies. Okay, cool. I get that you have to talk about how a game might potentially be, might potentially go, who likes to do what. But honestly, if the rules are the rules, well, then call it consistently, man. I think that's what people are asking for, and I don't think that's too much to ask for. But what I find ironic, Julio, is that after I got people emailing me and people in my mentions about, oh, you know, you're questioning officiating now, you know, because of the Wolfpack, what did I see last night? What did I see Monday night when people were uh, laughing at what happened with Kyle Filipowski? Oh, now you're suddenly on board. And that's, again, the biggest problem here. It's all fun and games when it's happening to your opponent or your rival. But then suddenly when it happens to you, well, oh, well, see, they're out to get you. Oh, well, no, I see this wrong. Officiating's terrible now because it affects us, right? And those conversations, honestly, suck the fun out of it. And, again, it's a it's a chicken or the egg. But, man, like, I hope <laughs> – like, I guess I jinxed myself. I knew what I was doing when I said, hey, looks like we're going to have a night of basketball involving a triangle school that doesn't end in some drama. Whoopsies. I was wrong. Because we ended up getting that last night in Syracuse. Well, I was going to say, to be fair now, Syracuse did lose the game on the, the bad play. By no, I agree. I agree. Obviously, the free throws didn't help yeah. after the Mints foul, but it was a foul on Mints, in my opinion, anyway. So, the uh, somebody had sent us 
Joe Lenardi's bracketology conference breakdown. And he's got Lenardi's got seven ACC teams in the tournament. That's uh, the third most. That's followed by the Big 12 and the Big 10. The Big 10 has 10. And we, I feel like we do the same song and dance all the time. People will associate the amount of teams that you get in the NCAA tournament with the strength of your of your league. Okay, fine. That's easy, basic math to understand. But how many times do we have to see sheer numbers of the Big Ten flaming out before we start to understand, cool, there's two different conversations to be had here. And we can't necessarily – what are you going to value more? Are you going to value an unbalanced conference slate? Are you gonna are you gonna value early season November basketball in an era with transfers and freshmen? You're not the same team you're in November than you are in March, right? So what are we valuing? You would hope there's some improvement. You would hope, yeah. right? So what are you valuing? Are you valuing those things that I just laid out in the regular season, or are you gonna value, you know, the best teams in the country in a tournament, as random as it might be, uh, winning a few games in March? That's that's the crux of most of our basketball discussions these days. I maintain that the ACC is a lot better than people want to give it credit. The problem is that the ACC does not do itself any favors with those November and December basketball results, which then feeds in bad numbers for the metrics of net. And then there's the whole conversation about net, right? What is net? How is it derived What matters? How can people go into a weekend like we saw with North Carolina and NC State and be like, oh, my goodness, North Carolina really needs this because it would be a Q1 opportunity. And on Saturday night, they get a Q1 win until the next morning when it is not a Q1 win. It's now suddenly a Q2 win. Well, what does that mean? Are you really telling me that a win over a team that's now 33 in net is worse than a team that was 28 in net? I see negligible difference here. But we've associated things with Q1, Q2, Q3 so much with a hard line that it really skews how we talk about these things. And it's pretty maddening at this point in time. I think you also have to remember the famous words of, of Herb Sendak. If the NCAA tournament started today, he was asked a question after they lost to Boston College. Yeah. Before Boston College joined the ACC. Yeah. Herb, if the, if the NCAA tournament started today, where would you be? Well, it doesn't matter. The NCAA tournament doesn't start today. <laughs> so sometimes you can get wrapped up in those cues and all those qualifications, but what matters is what happens on Selection Sunday. 